Let's just go into the word this morning. I'll, I'll trim the fat from first service today and just jump right into the word. Uh, your senior pastor today is in Savannah having a family reunion with his family. Amen. Pray that you will keep him in your prayers as he travels back, I believe, on tomorrow, if not uh, sometime next week. But please pray for him that he will have safe traveling mercies. I pray that you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving this year. Amen. Uh, this year, I don't know what happened, but I only ate one plate. I don't get it. I don't, I don't know, but I did, but I was still satisfied and I enjoyed my time. Matthew chapter 1, and let's go to verse 18. The pastor and I had a novel idea this year that we would speak on the Christmas story, but we would speak to the Christmas story from character sketches. Every person that had a hand or had a part in Christ coming to this earth, we decided we were going to speak about them one by one to the remainder of the year. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, if you love the word of God, if you want the word of God, if you don't want to hear me, but you want to hear God speak, I want you to say, I want the word. Oh, that sounds good to me. Matthew 1 and verse 18. Here is what the word of God says to you today. It's not for anybody else. You don't say after the sermon is over, I wish so-and-so was here. You're here today. So whatever the word is, it's for you. Amen? Matthew 1 and 18. Just find your way through this word. The word of God says this is how uh, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. Pledged to marry. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. Somebody say, have mercy. mercy. Through the Holy Spirit, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord, a what? appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Ghost. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name, what? Oh yes, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Uh, With your prayers and God's help, I just want to speak to you on this subject today. You are not the father. (laughs) Holy Ghost, have your divine way. Use me this morning. Everything that has been prepared today is not worthy to be spoken to your people. But God, I need your Holy Spirit to match what I have done. I need you to match my research with your great power, O God. And do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Your people have come here this morning for a word. Father, do not disappoint them. Give them something that will carry them through the rest of this day, through the rest of the week, through the rest of the month, through the rest of the year, and possibly through the rest of their lives. Father, help somebody today to catch a glimpse of Jesus. And may they say, as I do, falling in love with Jesus. 
is the best thing that I have ever done with my life. Bless us today, and we'll be careful to give you praise, honor, and glory. And oh God, I, I cannot forget this. If you never do another thing, if you don't bless us the way we want to be blessed, if you don't ask, answer another prayer in this life, my prayer, John Coxon's prayer, is always the same, that you will save us into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, let everybody say amen. Um, hmm. You are not the father. You are not the father. This Christmas season, uh, we are prone to think about the birth of Jesus Christ, but the majority of us are prone to think about the gifts that we are going to get. Many of you were in the mall yesterday for Black Friday, fighting people and pushing over old ladies to get the cheap TVs that you wanted and things of that nature. But how many of you know the Christmas season is really all about Jesus Christ? Amen. We all revere. It's not necessarily the day that Christ was born on. We don't know that day. We don't know what time of the year it was. But it is the day that we set aside to give thanks to God, to be grateful to him for what he has done for us. Now, in order for you to really understand Christmas, you've got to back up all the way to the beginning of the Bible there in Genesis chapter 3. We all know the story. Adam and Eve, they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They sinned. God said they were supposed to die. But the interesting thing about the story is this. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, please don't miss this this morning, brothers and sisters, because I, I got to set this up before I go anywhere today. Bef just as Adam and Eve sinned, as soon as they sinned in the garden God is in the garden <laughs> Christ does not wait God does not think it over as soon as Eve bites from the apple and hands it to her husband and he bites from it and they feel the burden and the weight of sin and they feel naked and dirty before God God is in the garden turning things over looking for them and it goes against the fallacy that the majority of us have today. What we believe is that we are the ones that are searching for God. That's not true at all. And I know you have texts in the Bible that says you ought to seek the Lord while he may be found. Search for him and you'll find him. I get that. But the truth of the matter is God is chasing after us. And at any time when you are searching after God, it's God in you compelling you to search after him. Okay, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> God is the one who's searching after you. It's God who's chasing after you. That's the entire story of the Bible. Every story in the Bible is about God seeking to be with his people. That's why in Moses' day, God said, Moses, listen, you get up out of here right now and you build me a house that I may dwell with my people. God wants to be with us. So Adam and Eve are in the garden. They have sinned. They have messed up real bad. And then the Bible says that God begins to preach the first sermon in history. Hmm. No preacher did this. Hmm. No, 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 no pulpiteer did this. God preaches the first sermon in Genesis 3.15. Let me show you real quick and then I'll get to my message. I'm, I'm going to take my time this morning. Is that all right? You've had your fill on turkey this week. You can, you, can, you can sit a little while longer, am I right? Genesis 3, verse 15, here's what the word of God says. God begins to preach, and what he says is this. He's talking to the serpent now. He's preaching a message right now. This message has everything necessary for any sermon to have. God says, and I will put enmity 
between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So God is in the garden. He's found his, his loved ones. He's found Adam and Eve. And then he begins to speak to the serpent. And he tells the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman, which is Jesus Christ. God says, you will always be at odds. There will always be variance between you. And although you will try to bruise his heel, you may succeed in that, but he will crush your head. God says, no matter what you try to do, Jesus will be successful. No matter what you put on him, Christ will be victorious. That's why Christians ought not to be afraid of anything. That's why we ought not, ought not be allowed to be discouraged. We are allowed to be disappointed when things don't go our way, but we are never allowed to be discouraged in this life. And the main reason for that is, we know the end of the story. Christ will always be victorious. I was reading the spirit of prophecy in the story of redemption, and I read the Bible this week, and the word of God says that Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. No, you missed that. No, 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 no. The Bible says he's the lamb slain, not towards the end of the world, but from the beginning of the world. What we find in the spirit of prophecy is this. Christ had already gone to the Father and said to him, listen, if our people should sin, I will go down and die for them. No, 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 no. That don't make no sense to me. No, 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 no. Not when they sin. If they sin. <laughs> if they mess up somewhere along the line. I'm letting you know right now, I am willing to die for them. Ellen White says that angels were in earshot of what the Holy Father and what Christ was speaking about as they were setting up this mission impossible, as they're setting up this plan of redemption, this plan of salvation. And the word and the, and the spirit of prophecy tells us that the angels begin to plead with Christ and ask him, please, you don't have to go. Let us go down. Why should God? Oh, mercy. Help me, God. Why should God die for humanity? Why should the sovereign king of the universe subject himself to pain, torture, and death to save people who are probably not going to accept you anyway? She says the angels began to plead with Jesus and began to tell him, please, let us go down. But Jesus would not have it. He said, listen, unless I go down, they will not know how much I love them. I have to go. They have to know that I love them more than anything in the world. They have to know I am willing to sacrifice my very life. They have to know that I care about them. They have to know that even when their mother and their father forsake them, I will pick them up. They have to know I care about them. And the only thing that's on my mind is getting them back into heaven. So Christ is pleading with his angels, telling them, listen, don't worry about it. I am going to go down. Then the plan is set up. This is so funny. They're, they're, they're in the situation room. This is interesting to me. And they're planning this plan of redemption. And this is the whole plan. The whole plan is God is going to leave his throne. God is going to condescend from heaven. He will come down and 
and wrap his divinity in humanity. He will wrap his strength in weakness. He will mask all of his power and be both through the womb of a virgin, become a baby. He will endure everything that we go through in this life, yet he will be without sin. Christ says, listen, the plan is this. I will live among them for 33 and a half years. I will witness everything that they go through in life so that when they come to a terrible spot in their lives, they will recognize I have already been through it. Word of God says he's our high priest. He's been tempted in all ways such as we were, yet without sin. He's been through everything you could ever possibly imagine in your life. That's why you ought not be, to be scared of storms. You ought not be afraid of temptations. You ought not be afraid of anything in this life or any circumstance that you think you cannot handle because what I have discovered in my life is this. Everybody says, God will never put more on me than I can bear. That's a lie. I want you to tweet that too. Put it out there for everybody to see because I know this is revolutionary now and you're wondering if I'm still sane and if I still love God. But here's the truth. You are always given more than what you can handle. If God didn't give you more than what you can handle, you would not need him. God is always in the process of stretching you and growing you and putting you through stuff in your life to make you better. If God only gave you stuff you can handle, some of you would never pray at all. You'd never talk to God. You would surely wouldn't be sitting up in church listening to me today, but because you feel you need God and you can't do nothing else without him, God lays a burden on you. God lays a storm in your life, a circumstance you cannot handle in order to remind you how much you need him. So the mission is simple. God says, listen, I'm going to condescend. I'm going to leave my throne. I'm going to go down through the womb of a virgin Mary. I'll be born like a, a, a drooling, sneezing, snotty-nosed baby. Ha! I will get hungry. I will get thirsty. I will get sick. I will get cold and I will get hot. All of these things which God has never experienced in his life. But the plan is I have to go down so that the people know how much I love them. And right off the bat, you can see this is the greatest mission in the history of the world. There's nothing better than this. This thing is so significant and so important, God cannot mess this up. If God messes this up, none of us are going to be here. If God messes this up, all of us are condemned. If God does not get this right, none of us are going into heaven, and we sure enough ain't going to ever see God. So God puts the plan in place. And what me and the pastor found as we were searching through the scriptures and looking through uh, the Christmas story and we began to pray about this is that we began to see that in order for this Christmas mission to come to pass, God had to use a particular type of person. I used to think that God just uses random people. I'm not so sure anymore. I think God can use anybody. But I think God uses a particular type of person. I hope I don't get in trouble for this. But here's the point. God uses people that are committed to him. Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. We all know the saying, God does not call the equip, he equips the call. I know that. 
God does not use people with ability all the time. But God uses people that have availability. And God cannot do much with a person that is not committed to him. Oh, Holy Ghost, help me now. God can't use a person that is more interested in just compliance, not commitment. God wants people that will be committed to him come hell or high water. Oh, help me, Lord. God wants people today that if he were to come to you like the rich young ruler and say, sell everything you have in your life, you are willing to do that on a moment's notice. God wants to use people in this life just as he did in this story. People who are sold out for him. So I look at this Christmas story and I'm thinking to myself, man, yo, God uses Mary or Mary must have been a great person. For God to use her. I mean, clearly, she had to be almost perfect in a sense. Uh, the wise men, God, God must have, he must have loved it. something special about them. What, what is going on in this story? And I wondered to myself as I read the story why God chose them. And that word kept popping up to the surface. Commitment, 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 commitment. God uses committed people. And as I studied this story... Help me, Holy Ghost. The first person that rose to the surface was Joseph. And Joseph, brothers and sisters, is so insignificant in the Bible that most scholars say that he is the forgotten person in the Christmas story. And brothers, you know it's bad when people refer to you as Joseph, the husband of Mary. <laughs> Your name can't stand alone. In order for people to know who you are, they got to say you are the husband of Mary. So there's not much written on Joseph as Jesus' life progresses for 33 and a half years. We don't know where he goes. We don't know if he dies. We don't know where he is or what's going on in his life. But what we do know is this. God chose him. God trusts this man to raise his son. He could have chose anybody, but God chose Joseph. Oh, help me, Lord, right now. God trusts this man to teach Jesus the ways of this world. God chose Joseph to potty train Jesus. God chose Joseph to take Jesus to school every day. God chose Joseph to teach Jesus the rudiments and the fundamentals of life itself so that he would progress and grow up with good morals and ethics and have a spiritual connection with his father. God chose Joseph. So the word says in verse 18, look at it. Don't, don't take my word for it today. It's right here in the word. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant <laughs> through the Holy Ghost. The level of commitment of Joseph is absolutely astounding to me. I remember uh, when I was young, 
me and my sister, my, our parents would leave us at home uh, during the summer months and summer days when we did not have school. And during that time, we did not have cable. And so really, the, truth be told, the only good midday show to watch were talk shows. And so the number one show that we like to watch, and I don't know why, was Maury Provich. <laughs> he said he loved Maury. <laughs> Uh, we used to watch that show every single day for whatever reason it was interesting. And every single show, it never failed, uh, uh, Maury would have a couple on the show and somebody accused the other of cheating. So Maury had his two tests. Maury had a lie detector test and Maury had a DNA test. And in the instance that, 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 that a, 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 uh, a woman was accused of cheating, <laughs> and that she had gotten pregnant or possibly had the child already, Maury would administer a DNA test. And of course, they drummed it up and it came to the climax towards the end of the show. And Maury would sit down with his legs crossed and he'd have an envelope in his hand. And he would say to the couple, he would say, uh, Joseph, the DNA test has come back in. And Joseph... The test says that you are not the father. What? Oh my God! And then just, just go, everybody going crazy. How in the world could you do this to me? Why are you doing this? How could this happen? How would you? Do, why would you do this to me? Of course, they'd be fighting and everything like that. Got to bring security on stage to separate them. And then it would come out that she had slept with this one and that one and all this kind of stuff. And it would just be drummed up, drummed up, drummed up. And I used to be sitting there watching that show, even as a young boy, and say, God, please don't let that drama in my life. But your boy Joseph hey, has got some drama in his life right now. What you've got to understand is that during Hebrew or during this Hebrew society and in Hebrew culture, even though Joseph and Mary were not actually married at this time, they were betrothed to one another. They were engaged to one another. And during that time or in that culture, it basically meant that they were kind of married already. See, people back then didn't get engaged and jump out of engagements. Oh, okay, all right, all right. Uh, uh, if you made a commitment, it was a real commitment. If you said you were going to marry that girl, you better marry her. So Joseph is engaged to this woman, and it is expected that he is supposed to marry her. But then the Bible throws a curveball at us. And forget everything you know about the Christmas story, y'all. Forget everything you know about how the story ends up. And put yourself in the shoes of Joseph. His fiance, the woman that he loves and he cannot wait to marry, the woman that he believes is a chaste virgin that has not been with another guy in her entire life, she's never even kissed a boy, <laughs> comes to him one day and said, oh, Joseph, I got a baby bump and I'm pregnant. <laughs> oh, uh, fellas, do you feel me? Mary comes to him, says, Joseph, I'm pregnant. Mm. Joseph is there like, what? How in the, what happened? What have you done? And then I, I can imagine the story right now in my mind's eye. Joseph begins to ask, well, at least tell me who it is. 
But here's the funny thing. Homegirl says, well, it's of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Not only is Joseph probably thinking to himself, homegirl is trifling. She's also crazy. You slept around with somebody and you're going to make it seem like it was the Holy Ghost. If there ever was drama in the Bible, you can't get no better than this, y'all. This is better than scandal. Somebody say amen. This is drama right here. Word of God says they're pledged to be married. Joseph can't wait to marry this woman. But out of the blue, she comes out of nowhere. And she begins to say, Joseph, I'm pregnant in order to add insult to injury. She also says, Joseph, what I have in my belly did not come from another man. It's nobody you know. Actually, it's the Holy Ghost. Mind blown. So, verse 19, the Bible says, oh, I love this. I love this. We're focusing on Joseph today. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. Oh, I'm going to stay right here. And yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now understand this, understand this, understand this. Joseph actually had a legal obligation to divorce her. Okay, no, 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 I want you to get this. It's not that he had an option to divorce her. He was supposed to divorce her. Oh, y'all not with me today. Roman law, as well as Jewish law, dictated that if a woman was found pregnant out of wedlock while she was in the midst of a betrothal, she was supposed to be divorced. Joseph could have also brought her to court and got back the dowry that he paid for her as well as some of the money from her own family. So Joseph had a lot to get from this divorce. Oh man. And, and, and you know what? Not only that, homegirl was supposed to be stoned. Joseph had every right under the sun to drag her behind by her hair kicking and screaming into the middle of the city and tell people to take up stones and to kill her while the baby was inside her belly. But the Bible is strange today. I don't know why it says this, but it says because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So now what does Joseph do? King James Version says he was a just man. A righteous man an upright man but he wants to be faithful to the law of God but he also wants to show love so Joseph decides here's what I'm gonna do I will divorce her but I'm gonna keep it quiet I'm not gonna sell her story to the newspapers I ain't gonna tweet and put it on Instagram I ain't gonna tell everybody what I'm about to do I will not shame her and I will not judge her I'm gonna keep the law but I'm not going to humiliate her. Joseph somehow finds a way, because he's an upright man, to mingle the law and love. Even the church has not figured that out yet. Oh yeah, okay. See, nobody with me now, but I'm going to stay right here. Let some young girl get pregnant in the church. We'd rather keep the law than show them love. 
We're not interested in reconciling them. We're not interested in hiding them from public disgrace. We want them right up here so everybody can see what they have done. We are not interested in love. We have not even figured out what Joseph figured out. I'll divorce her, but I'm not going to judge her. I'll put her to the side, but it's not my job to be judge and jury over her life. I'll let God decide what's going to happen to her. <laughs> Joseph said, honey, I don't agree with what you did, but I love you enough that although you messed up, I'm not going to judge you. You know, no, 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 no. The problem with the church today is that we have too many perfect people in the church. We have too many people who would love everybody to believe that they have never been through nothing. That they have never done anything wrong with their lives. And you wonder why so many young people leave the church? How in the world are they going to stay in a church full of perfect people and they know they're not perfect? Got too many perfect people. Too many Bible-toting Christians. Hey, too many happy Sabbath cheese-eating grin Christians who cannot be transparent and open enough to say, I'm struggling in this area of my life. And you know what? God will hold many of us accountable, and he especially will hold parents accountable as well. Parents, oh, okay, okay, see, you, you're making me do this because you won't say amen. I have to stay right here now. Um, um. Parents will be held accountable for the stuff you have not told your kids. Because you want them to believe that you are perfect, eventually they will leave the church. Eventually they will want nothing to do with God. But if you were just honest with them, if you just tell them, son, daughter, I've been through this, there's a hole in the road. If you walk down this hole, you're going to fall in the same hole. I don't want that to happen to you. If we had more honest people and less perfect people, the church would be a much better place. Joseph is an upright man. Hallelujah. Man who loves God. So Joseph says, listen, honey, I'm a, I got to divorce you, but we're going to keep this amongst ourselves. I'm going to put you to the side so you won't be publicly dis disgraced. I'm not going to try to take your money. And I don't want them to stone you. So I'm just going to put you to the side right now. And you go about your business. But, honey, it's over. <laughs> we certainly ain't getting together. But then, verse 20. And I love this. But after he had considered this, Joseph is a thinking man. A man who does not move at impulse. Okay, I'm going to come right there because you're not saying amen. This is your fault. You asked for this. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Ghost. She will give birth to a son and you ought to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. <laughs> All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin is going to conceive and give birth to a son. They will call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. And I, it's great. When Joseph woke up, 
He did, I'm just reading the text. He did exactly what the angel of the Lord commanded him. Took Mary home as his wife. But he did not even consummate the marriage, which he could have done. Which he could have done. Amen, men. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. The level of commitment of Joseph to God and to the plan of God is absolutely astounding. The level of obedience displayed by this man of God, I have not seen in this world since I've been alive. I'm only 26, but I'm just saying. Joseph had to spend every day knowing that Jesus was not his biological son. Put this in your mind. And he would not even be able to explain it. Even after the angel had told him and Mary that the child was indeed of the Holy Ghost, and even after he believed it, most of the people in the towns and the neighboring cities did not know that. And so all they know is, Mary is pregnant, y'all. And she was not married. (laughs) Mary has a baby bump, (laughs) y'all. And they were not together. Mary messed up. And so every day of Joseph's life, he now has to defend his baby boy. He has to defend his wife. He has to defend himself. Now the rumor mill is starting. Oh, y'all know about that. Now the gossip circuit is beginning. Everybody is chatting and talking. They know about this huge scandal in Israel now about Mary's is pregnant and she's claiming that it's of the Holy Ghost. How crazy, how ludicrous is that? But Joseph says, if this is what God wants for my life, I will stand by this woman till the day I die. Um, okay. We need, oh, okay. (laughs) Ellen White says, the greatest need of the world is the need of men. Women, you ought to say amen. Men who will not be bought or sold. Men who are as true to duty as the needle is to the pole. Men who will stand firm and steadfast though the heavens fall. She says that the greatest need of the world is not men and women. Not people who exhibit more love. She says the greatest need of the world is men who will stand up for God. All right, all right, all right. So I'll take it one step further. The greatest need in the church is men. See, what you don't understand about the Adventist church today is that the majority of our churches are composed of elderly women 50 years and over. Which means if the women were sucked away from the church, our church could not survive. Because men think you're too weak to serve God. If you serve God, you're a punk. You can't lift your hands in church. You can't say you love God. You can't get down on your knees. You can't talk to God. You can't talk about him. Because men think it is a sign of weakness. But the greatest need in the church today is men who are willing to stand up for what's right. 
men who are willing to praise God though the heavens fall, men who don't care what nobody else thinks, but they're going to stay committed to God, hallelujah, to their marriage, to their families, to their jobs. They will stay committed. They will have integrity in their life. She says that's the greatest need today. Men who are righteous and upright, men who are just and uh, just as committed to God as they are to their families and their marriages and everything else in their life. And incidentally, since I'm on a roll anyway, ladies, this is the type of man that you want. Oh. Come on, say amen. Oh. You, you, you just don't want a man that looks good. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Just don't want a man with sex appeal. Amen. You don't want to marry somebody just based on finances. You don't want to marry somebody based on the car that they drive. You want somebody that is connected to God and knows how to pray when trouble hits their lives. You want a man that's going to usher you into the throne room of God and knows how to get a prayer through. You want a man that can search the scriptures and tell you about the promises of God. You want a godly man that's going to be committed to you. Oh, my men, you just don't want a woman that looks good. You don't want a woman <laughs> with the body of Beyonce. Somebody in the audience say, yes, I do. <laughs> you want a woman oh, from Proverbs 31, ah, hallelujah, that knows how to cook and clean. Hallelujah, God. Hey. You, you, you want a woman that knows how to pray for you and will not judge you when you lose your job. You want a woman that will stand by you through thick and thin. You want a woman that knows God. Don't come around here talking about you want a perfect woman. And I know I'm not married today, but guess what? I searched all over. Mm. And I ain't found nobody perfect yet. But a godly woman, huh, is about as perfect as you gonna get. <laughs> Bible says charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that fears the Lord, she is worthy, 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 worthy to be praised. You better find you somebody that loves God. Only security you got in this life is God. The only one that's going to keep your marriage together. Only person that's going to keep your relationship together. You want somebody that is going to be as committed to God as they are to you. And I got to say this again. I say it during first service. I, said it, I say it to my kids all the time. To my men and to my women. If a person cannot give their heart to God, they cannot give it to you. Ain't no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Ain't no gray area. If they cannot give their heart to God, you cannot even trust them. You'd be surprised how many people in this world married somebody one day and woke up to a monster the next. 
You don't know nobody. No matter how long you've been dating them, people change overnight. You want somebody with the spirit of Joseph. Mm. Somebody who's committed, has got integrity in their life, and wants to serve God above everything else. Word of God says this man is so faithful, hallelujah, so upright, and so just, he would not shame this woman when he had every right to. Then the Bible says when he divorced her, he began to think on these things, and I, I take it to mean he really began to pray on these things and seek God about it. Angel came to him during the night in a dream and said, listen, buddy, where everything that she says is true. Immediately as he wakes up, hops out of the bed, goes and grabs her, they go to the preacher, they get married, and he takes her home. And that's a man of integrity. That's a man that loves God. Who's had a whole lot of drama in his life, a whole lot of circumstances that are going on, but, oh, this word keeps coming, he is so committed to God. Does not matter what's going on in his life. What he realizes is the mission and the plan of God is bigger than my own life. Oh, you missed that. Okay. All right. See, what we believe is that we ought to be committed to, to, to our lives. We ought to be committed to the purpose that God has given us. And many of us, we, we ask this question all the time. God, what is your will for my life? And I don't know if I believe in that so much anymore. I was reading this book, Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. Awesome book. I, I recommend it to you. Homeboy said this. He said, we should not necessarily be asking God, God, what is your will for my life? But God, what is your will? He says, God's will for your life is too small. That's insignificant. We can't even see that. No. God has a bigger plan in motion. Think on a macro level, not on a micro level. Think big and huge, not small. God has a plan for this entire world and for this universe. And your question should be, how do I fit into that overall plan? God, not what is your will for my life. Oh, man. Your plan is bigger than my life. That means that even if I don't get what I'm asking you for in my life, you're still God and I'll still serve you. See, when you think on a micro level, you're only thinking about your life. That means you are selfish. That means if God don't give you that new car or that husband or that wife or God don't give you that new job or God don't bless you the way that you want him to bless you, you're ready to throw in the towel and give up on him. But if you recognize that some of the troubles that you go through in your life are a part of God's master plan for the world, maybe you'll stay put and stay committed. Joseph is saying here, because God has ordained this, I'm going to stay right here. I don't like it. I hate it. People are talking about me behind my back. I got all kind of drama in my life, and I did not do anything wrong. I did not ask for this, but I'm going to stay committed. Come hell or high water, God is God. At the end of the day, God is always going to be God. And whatever he says, I trust his plan. Well, I'm pretty much done. <laughs> but, uh... I'll share with you some other stuff that I learned this week. This is free. This is takeaway stuff. You can take home with you, write it down, or something like that. The first thing I, I learned from the story of Joseph. God, what an awesome man of God. 
is that nobody is unimportant to God. From the text, it would seem that Joseph is one of the most insignificant people in history. There's not much about him in the New Testament. For him to be the raising father of Jesus Christ, it just seems as though the writers would have put more in the text for him. But we don't even know what happens to him after Jesus is 12 years old and he goes to the temple. We have no idea. But it, it speaks to the fact that God does not consider anybody unimportant. Every person has value. Every person has talents and skills that God wants to use in this world. And there's nothing more common in the world than talents and gifts and abilities. But what separates you from somebody else is your commitment level. God does not consider anybody unimportant. If he can use a donkey, God can use anybody. Joseph was a poor carpenter from Nazareth. He was a nobody. But God considered his commitment so high in his book that he said, I have got to bless this man in a way I have blessed no other. All right, all right, okay, all right, all right. Now, now, Joseph, from a human perspective, he's a nobody. But he's committed. And can I tell you something? What is true in the spiritual is also true in the natural. It's not the people with all the money and the skills and the abilities that make it to the top. It's committed people. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Help me, God. Help me to make this thing plain. Employers would rather hire somebody who's committed to what they're being asked to do than somebody who just has more degrees than a thermometer. Committed people get the job. People who are sold out and who are passionate for what they believe in, those are the people God elevates. Oh, you don't believe me today. You just want to believe God's going to bless me in spite of. I ain't got to do nothing. Come on in. Rain on down on me. Open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that none of us shall have room to receive it. No! If you are not committed to God, God cannot trust you with blessings. You asking God to speak to you? You asking God to tell you something and God already told you enough in his word that you ain't living right now. So how God going to bless you with more if you ain't being faithful with the little that you have? Okay, see, y'all don't want to say amen now. Help me, God. God says those who are faithful in little, who are committed in the little, I will make them ruler over much. To whom much is given, much is required. God expects that if you know him and you love him and you want to serve him, that you'll be committed enough to him that nothing is going to turn you around. Amen. Amen. Joseph is committed to God. Even though he's unimportant, God uses him because he has commitment. And that's not, that's not value today in our society today. We want people with all the degrees. People with the abilities and the skills. People with the money. People who look the part. You don't have to look the part with God. Amen. God will use you right where you are. He will make you beautiful right where you are. 
God can lift you up right where you are. That's why you ought to know for some young person today, I just feel it in my spirit today. You feel you're not going to make it and you cannot be great. God can use you in spite of. I heard one preacher say, greatness never goes on sale. <laughs> you, you ain't going to walk into a Rolls Royce dealership and ask them, when's the 50% off sale? Because the assumption is, if you don't have the money, you're behind not even ought to come up in here in the first place. So greatness never goes on sale. Only cheap stuff goes on sale. I feel like I'm saying it all right. <laughs> Only cheap stuff goes on sale. The stuff that nobody else wants, the mediocre, mundane, average stuff in life. But if you want the great blessings of God, if you want the great responsibilities of God, then you got to meet God where he is with some type of level of commitment to him. What I find in the church today is we got so many people who are more like the rich young ruler than anybody else. I say this all the time. This, this brother comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? Just tell me and I'll do it. Jesus said, listen, all you got to do is keep the law. He said, well, Jesus, I've done that. Ellen White says he had keep, keep, kept the law. From his birth, he had kept the law completely. Then Jesus said, okay, okay, since you've done that, listen, if you really want to be saved, I just want you, it's no big thing, don't, don't, don't get alarmed or anything. Um, I, I, I just want you to sell everything you have. <laughs> Take it to the pawn shop. Put it on Amazon and Craigslist. Just sell everything you have. Just sell it all. Don't, don't worry about it. Just sell everything you have, and I want you to follow me. The word of God says that he hung his head in shame because he had too many possessions. And what church people have done and what church has become is a place where people can come and get, 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 but they never give. And if God were to walk up in this place today and ask us to sell everything you have and follow me and I will save you, many of us would be hard pressed to do it. But the truth of the matter is God should be able to come to you right now in your life. And I'm not saying I'm perfect because i got a lot to work on too in my life. But God ought to be able to come to you right now and say, Craig, Lord, sell everything you have and follow me. That's commitment. Commitment is not sitting in church listening to me speak. Oh, you ain't done nothing. done nothing you coming to church and sitting in this pew does not uh, show an example of how committed you are to God your commitment is shown through your actions you can have all the belief you want in your mind you can have all the belief you want in your heart but faith without works is dead come to church every day and you don't know how to love people you don't know how to sacrifice you won't fast. You won't pray. You will not read your Bible. You won't try to get help for whatever you're going through, your addictions in your life. You won't put that girl out of your house. You won't tell that man he can't come over here anymore, even though God has told you that already. Are you really committed? Yeah, I know I wasn't going to get many amens on that. I said it anyway. Are you committed to God? And could God trust you like he trusted Joseph? 
could God give you such a beautiful package as the baby Jesus and trust that you would be committed enough to bring that thing to its purpose? <laughs> many of us, we ain't going to have no real big births in our lives. We ain't going to have uh, many blessings and miracles in our lives because we're not really committed to God. So don't come crying one day. Telling God, God, you don't bless me. God, you, you, you don't keep me in your good graces. God, I asked you for this and you did not do that. What God is saying in his mind and in his heart is this. If you're not committed to me in the first place, whatever I give you is going to take you to hell. Help me, Holy Ghost. Well, huh. So I, I learned so much from Joseph's story, man. It's amazing. Such a man of integrity. Somebody I want to pattern my life after. And the truth of the matter is, man, I would more readily call him a man after God's own heart. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. He ain't sleeping around with nobody. I mean, I, I don't know. And he even stayed put with his wife, Mary. <laughs> Blows my mind. Well, I also figured out God blesses the efforts of godly men and women. But he does not bless half-hearted, half-devoted people who have no intentions of serving him after he blesses you. I'm going to say that one more time. God blesses the efforts of godly men and women. But he does not bless half-hearted, half-devoted people with no intentions of serving him. If you want God to bless you, then stand up and say, God, I will live for you, though the heavens fall. We've created society today where people are supposed to come to church, and I have to preach a good message to get you on your feet. Oh, come on, say amen. And he's got to play the organ. And I got to tell you that your season is now, even though I have no idea when your season is. And clearly it can't be everybody's season up in here. But that's the kind of a culture we've created in church. That I got to preach prosperity. But I also got to tell you that even when God allows winds to blow in your life, you still got to stay committed. <laughs> When you're in love and when you're out of love, you still got to go home to your wife. All right, all right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody say amen now. <laughs> He's still your son or your daughter, no matter what they have done. That's commitment. Commitment is not this mamby-pamby thing that we have today. We can sneak into church, get what we need, and leave back out, go home, gossip about what the preacher said or other people in the church, take a nap, eat some veggie meat, wake up, go to the club, and start the cycle all over again. I just believe God wants commitment. And I ain't saying you got to be perfect, but at least you can make a decision in your heart and in your mind today. I want to serve God. I'll say no to what God wants me to say no to. I'll say yes to what God says yes to. What God loves, I will love. What God hates, I will hate. And I will not be afraid to call sin by its right name. God needs some more godly men and women in the church. God needs some more people that are so committed to him that he can just, he can just bless them. 
Bless them all day long. He just open up the windows and give you whatever you want. Uh, my, my mentor always used to say this, that there was a young boy who always had this special prayer. And everybody wondered why he got everything that he wanted. And he said, son, what, what, how, what are you saying in your prayers that warrants you getting everything that you want? He says, sir, all I say is my name is Jimmy and I'll take what you give me. And I trust God enough. <laughs> That whatever he gives me, I'll be committed to that. All right, all right. Well, also, faith, 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 faith. Some of y'all going to pray that prayer tonight because you want some blessings in your life. Uh, I also realize from the story of Joseph, faith sometimes requires us to believe in the unbelievable. Sometimes you got to get out the boat, even though it seems like you can't walk on water. Sometimes you got to keep on marching in the direction God has sent you on, even though you don't understand everything that's going on in your life. When you cannot see your hand in front of your face, you trust that God is there. When you cannot trace him, you trust him. When you cannot behold him, you believe that he is still there in your heart of hearts. Sometimes in this Christian journey, you have to believe above everything else that you are seeing right now that God knows what he's doing. Mary came to Joseph, bro, I'm pregnant of the Holy Ghost. I can't get over that. I'm pregnant of the Holy Ghost. And Joseph, instead of shaming her, decides I'll put you to the side, baby. And I'll wait for what God is going to say to me first before I make any rash decisions. Ladies, incidentally, you don't want a man that, that is driven by impulse and feelings. You want a man that's disciplined enough and has enough integrity that he's going to wait, think about the matter. You want a man with wisdom. I remember my dad always used to have us read our Proverbs. In the first part of Proverbs, you know, that's simply a book. It seems like Solomon is writing some anecdotes to his sons. And the first thing that he says is that, son, uh, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Mm. So that boy you want, if you don't fear the Lord, he ain't smart. Let's move. Here we go. (laughs) Uh, The Jews during that time, they required a sign from God. They always wanted signs and wonders. God, show us what is going to be the sign of your coming. Show us by the stars. Show us by, by a wet and dry fleece. Give us signs that we may know that what you are saying is true. Brothers and sisters, the word of God says that signs are for the heathen. Your commitment to God has nothing to do with what God shows you. Oh man, I wish somebody believed the word of God today. Your belief in God is not contingent upon what God shows you or what he does not show you. He has shown you everything in the word. There are some things in your life you don't even have to pray about. I know I'm going to get crucified when I leave. You don't have to pray about certain things in the word of God. God already said it. For you to pray about it is almost offensive to God. You know you're not supposed to kill nobody. You ain't got to pray about that, God. Should I kill him? What? The word says that. The word says that. We don't need signs and wonders in the heavens and in the stars. 
if God has spoken to us, he has given us a word, then we move upon what God has said. Oh, and I love the story of Joseph, and I'm almost done. I know my time is short, but look at this. Joseph, the Bible says, first homeboy wakes up, does what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary home with his wife. Did not consummate the thing. But he waited until marriage, until she gave birth to a son, and then he named his name Jesus. But then verse 13 of chapter 2, look at what the word says. Joseph just obeys over and over and over again. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And I just love verse 14. See, when you read the Bible sometimes, it, it doesn't really hit you, but this is powerful. It's plain speaking. But the word of God says, so he got up. Mm. I wish I had that kind of faith in my life. The minute God speaks, so he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and he left for Egypt, now trouble is coming into his life. It's getting real now. Herod is about to kill him. His life is being threatened. His life as well as the life of his wife and his child is threatened right now. Joseph is told by the angel, get up and go into a land where the people don't even know my name. Go to a place where you're not familiar with the culture. Go to a place where you cannot speak the language. Go to a place where you're not going to be comfortable as at all. Can God trust you in uncomfortable predicaments? Help me, Lord. Can God trust you? Then he allows storms to go in your life. Can God trust you like he trusted Job? Mm. Satan went to Jesus, went to God. He said, listen, who, who can I tempt? Who, who you got for me? He said, listen, you can tempt Job. That brother is not going to fall. He's committed to me. You can do whatever you want. You can touch his body. Just don't kill him. But you will see he is committed to me. For many of us, the moment we endure hardship, we want to blame the church. Oh, come on, say amen. The moment we go through something, we want to blame God. The moment we go through something, God's not real. God's not just. God's not good. We forget that the word of God says he's the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. If God was good yesterday and God is good today, that means he's going to be good for the foreseeable future. And we got to have enough faith. So Joseph gets up. The Bible says he goes to Egypt. Then verse 19, after Herod died. An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life. They are dead. So he got up. <laughs> I love Joseph today. No questions asked. He got up. Even though you are not the father. Took the child and his mother, went to the land of Israel. When he learned that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. If Joseph had not been obedient... And commitment to God and had a commitment to God the mission of heaven itself would have been put in jeopardy but because God scoured the earth 
because his word says his eyes look to and fro looking for people that serve him and he was able to find one man down there in Galilee who was committed to him the mission of God could go forward now the question you got to ask yourself today is this what are you preventing in your life right now because you ain't really committed We come down to the altar and say, God, I give my life to you. You didn't mean that. Some of y'all stand at the altar and say, for rich or poor, for death and in health, you didn't mean that. Oh, come on, say amen. <laughs> Let me say, I'll be there for you for forever. Won't leave you nor forsake you. You didn't mean that. You said, God, I'll serve you for the rest of my days. You didn't mean it. You just said something because it sounded good. Or maybe you heard the preacher say it. Or it just sounded something nice that you're supposed to say to God. But where are the real, where a real Christian, please stand up. Well, somebody who really wants to serve God, like Joseph did, will you please make yourself known? We fake it till we make it. Let people believe we got it all together. We say happy Sabbath and we sing the right songs. And we do everything we're supposed to do as church people. But during the week, does God hear his name on your lips? Does God even know you? Bible says when he comes one day he will say depart from me you worker of iniquity I never knew you and so I, I just got one question for you today I, I ain't trying to preach too hard I, I ain't trying to <laughs> are you committed to God now seriously I want you to think about that right now matter of fact bow your heads and close your eyes here, we are, here it is I'm going to end it right here here it is here it is here it is are you really mm, committed to God? Young people, are you just here because your parents hog-tied you and dragged you here? Adults, I don't know why you're here, but are you here? Because you actually believe that the God of Scripture actually exists. Are you committed to God today? Because you actually believe that Christmas is all about what Christ came to do for us. To die on the cross for our sins. I mean, seriously, folks. Let's, let's just be a real day. If, if one Sabbath out of 300, out of how many, 52 Sabbaths out of the year, can, can we just be real and just ask it, are you really committed to God? I mean, seriously. Are you just playing around? Because here, here's the clincher right here. And I always say something that probably going to get me in trouble. But the, I mean, if you ain't committed to God, why are you here? Why are you coming to church? I understand we go through patterns and seasons of being ups and ups and downs and we have mountains and valleys in our lives. But, but if you don't have a desire in your heart to be committed to God, what are you not wasting your time? 
I don't know. I, I just, I'm just praying in my life right now. As a young man who's not perfect, who has messed up, continues to mess up, and will continue to mess up. I just want the spirit of Joseph in my life. I want to be so in tune with God that it's like walking friend with friend. That when I talk to him, it's real. And when he asks me to do something, I'll do it. No questions asked. That I'm so committed to him that I prepared my life for the blessings he wants to give me. Mm. Today, my appeal is simple. Mm. If you really want to be committed to God, I just want you to stand to your feet right now. I want to say, God, I'm listening to the story of Joseph of the New Testament, and there's not much about him. But what's clearly evident is homeboy loves you enough that he's going to be commitment no committed no matter what. I want that in my life. Oh my. It's about eyes are still closed. I cannot leave a pulpit. Just can't do it. Without giving somebody the opportunity to know what I know about God. Got to give somebody the opportunity to be saved. So if that's you today and I can't hold this thing forever. Do you want to say Pastor Coxum, Glenville? I want to commit myself to God today. I want to make my calling and election sure. I want to be real with God today. I want to mark this day on my calendar and give my life to God. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. I want you to slip out of the aisle and come down here. We'll receive you. Our Bible workers are here. Don't look around at anybody else. Don't think about nothing else. Put all that stuff out of your mind. If that's you today, you heard anything, you want to say, Pastor, I want to be committed. I want what you got. I want to experience God for real. That's you. I want you to make your way down here. That's going to take courage. That's going to take bravery on your part. That's going to take a little bit of faith. But God honors faithfulness. God bless you. God bless you. Somebody else, somebody else. I want you to make your way down here. God bless you. God bless you. You want to say, Pastor, I, I ain't really committed, to be honest with you. I'm not. <laughs> Play around with church. I just come in and out. It's a habit for me. I'm like a robot. I come and sit in the same spot every week, but I ain't really getting nothing out of it because I ain't really committed my life to him. I, I ain't done nothing worthwhile for God. I have not sacrificed anything. I have not surrendered anything. And I'm wondering why I don't have an experience with God. If that's you, you need to make your way down here right now. Oh, God bless you. God bless you. Bible workers, just attend to them right now. Oh, if there's any people who's mighty in prayer, I want you to make your way to the front and just... Drape your arms around those who are coming and begin to pray over them right now. You're saying, you're saying, you're saying, Pastor, I want the spirit of Joseph. I'm tired of this. I want to experience God. I want to be committed to Him. I realize now I can't get what I want out of life. I ain't blessed. No miracles are happening. I'm in the rat race of life over and over again. Can't get no relief. Ain't got no peace in my life because I'm not committed. Today, I just want to say I want to be committed to God. If that's you, 
some man, some woman, oh, some boy, some girl. I can't hold this thing forever. I ain't perfect today, but I want you to have what I got. I got peace in my heart today. I've made my decision. And John Coxon ain't turning back. I will serve the Lord for